Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Star Wars Lads podcast, episode three. I am Liam, and I'm joined by the other two lads, Jared, Jared and Sonic. Uh, today, we will be talking about The Mandalorian, episode 12, The Siege. Um, and to kick it off, I'm going to pitch it to Jared. Let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I feel like episode four, no, 12, The Siege. Yes. Um, I just feel like this episode was the most Star Wars episode <laughs> thus far. <laughs> um, what do you guys feel about that? Like, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but this is the most um, wipes, wipe transitions I've ever seen in an Amanda episode. Uh, definitely, definitely agree, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And it really gave that <laughs> essence. And I, I, I love that so much. But there was something about just everything on the production standpoint <clears throat> that just made this feel like a Star Tours ride. You yeah. Know, it was like, it was definitely in, you know, I guess more of a side quest type of episode. Um, but it, it really had a lot of weight in, in its action and, um, and, like the overall narrative that it was hinting to uh with the uh with the cloning incubation and um just all the stuff that um that they had with like the rebellion and and everything um yeah i don't know i i i feel like this character this episode was just really fun to me yeah i mean i, I guess to add to that i think I don't know, just from, like, your tone, it seems like there's just, like, so many things that were, like, quintessentially Star Wars for you, but would you say this was necessarily, like, a top episode for you? Um, hmm. I, I feel like definitely on top, on, on rewatchability for me, it, it definitely bumps up there. Mm -hmm. uh, just because it was just such a fun episode to watch, and I, I think uh, there were so many moments that were just so tense, but so comical, but so tropically good. I, I really don't, I really can't put a thumb on it, but um, I just, I, I just really enjoyed, I think like on, on the topic of quintessential Star Wars uh, aspects, I, I feel like, I feel like uh, it had the pacing of a Star Wars episode. Yeah. And I think in its essence, it felt like a Star Wars episode because of the pacing and, and all the editing. Like very slow at times, but in in peaks, it the action was just so rampant, and I just really really appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me personally, I I, I think I totally agree with that. Like, yeah, this episode feels like something that like you could just throw on on like a Sunday morning, right? And just grab some mm -hmm. breakfast, and you're like, all right, I want to see Star Wars. Uh, I don't necessarily want to watch a clip of it, but I don't want to watch like a full movie. This episode, like it sits like nice and compactly, like everything that you want out of Star Wars, essentially. Right. Yeah. I I think like the way I was describing it to Liam was like, it's like you're watching the Mandalorian episodes and like, there's so many things that are like, it's drawing from like Western films. Like there's a little bit of like, mythology there's, there's there's a lot of things that star wars just knows how to pull from a lot of tropes and everything but star wars in its own is like its own formula its own like 
essence that it's already like figured out over what, 40 plus years. And I, I don't know. I just felt like this episode, it, it, there were just so many things that were fascinating about it. It's like, it was like a build your own episode along the way, right? Like when you're playing with a bunch of toys, right? Uh, like some Star Wars figures or Legos or whatever, right? You kind of create that story while you're playing playing with those toys. And as you're going through that story, something new comes in, something like totally changes the dynamic, right? Like, oh, suddenly your soldiers are like suddenly on the defensive, right? Reinforcements have arrived for the Empire, stuff like that. And it, it was like, it could have just been an easy like quest, uh, quest, uh, it quest fetch sort of episode where they're like, okay, we go in, you know, turn off the station, let it explode and that's it. But there were just so many things that like were teased about like stuff that we already been building from the first season, stuff that like we've been learning about, like just in these past few episodes, like, and then like stuff that like has been in Star Wars before, but haven't necessarily been in the Mandalorian. And I think, I think I was talking to Liam about this, but the two biggest things that really stood out for us was when we we're talking last, uh, last week on our episode, how you guys, uh, we, we were all discussing like, oh, will there be like first order elements in this show? And me and Liam were like very adamant, like, you know, it seems like a very like original trilogy, trilogy backed uh, series. But when we saw what happens in the cloning tanks, like whatever they're doing with the midichlorian counts with baby Yoda's blood, like that stuff had like, the same music as Snoke. So I don't know if that's, necessarily something linked to Snoke or if it's just like playing on what we already kind of know, right? And then does it have the same music? Yeah, yeah. I think it's only like pitched down a little bit, but it was the same as Snoke's theme, which was very cool. Mm. Yeah. And then I think, like him too. Yeah, yeah. Like it had the whole like head bulge thing. Like it was definitely like a almost like a proto Snoke. I don't know if it's necessarily connected with Palpatine's plans with Snoke, but it was just like that one thing, like when you coming into the episode, you're like, okay, this is just Navarro. We know what to expect. There's Imperials here, but suddenly we're just like reminded, like, oh snap! Like Gideon has been playing behind the scenes, building something massive, and then the episode ends with another big banger, which is what the descriptive audio clearly pointed out as dark troopers, and that's something we've only seen mm -hmm. in the EU and. That, I mean, that, that's a big tease. For what exactly? I don't know, but like Gideon's going to do something big. Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot, a lot of what you guys are saying. Um, this episode for me was very good plot-wise. Um, I didn't love all the decisions he made uh, from the filmmaking standpoint. Like Jared, you said there was a ton of wipes and he wiped during action sequences <laughs> and it was just so weird to me. Um, it did feel like star Wars, but it's, I don't know. It didn't, the action scenes at the beginning, at least in the hallways uh, and uh, all that stuff, it didn't work for me. It felt a little choppy, but I think that's where you kind of see Carl Weathers as a first time director is trying to figure it all out. Um, so it was a few editing decisions like that, that kind of bothered me. But the plot, like, that further 
it furthered the plot far more than I thought this episode was going to, especially when it started. And, you know, he arrives, and it's kind of been the trend of the whole season where uh, Mando arrives somewhere, and everybody goes, oh, we need your help for one thing. And they go and do some type of mission. Um, but this one, this was this was the plot point from last season. When, when the show ended last season, this was what I wanted to find out, was what is the Empire doing, and why is Moff Gideon so different from the rest of the Empire? Um, and we're really starting to get that. And I'm with all the hype over Ahsoka or Bo-Katan, it, it just kind of uh, faded to the background of what I wanted to see. And this re- this episode did remind me that, no, this Imperial stuff is going to be just as exciting as any cameo we get. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, again, this is like a show that for any Star Wars viewer like it's exciting it's fun right like i think going back to what you were saying liam about like the action like there are a lot of cuts they're like really high <laughs> the fact that carl weathers isn't uh and the gang are not exactly the most athletic as a whole right like this, and, <laughs> yeah yeah um like especially with having sasha banks and uh Katie Stackoff, like both of them are like extremely physical and the other Mando that they had, I don't know the actor's name, but you could tell like there was a lot more involved in like their stunt choreography because, you know, they, they are Mandalorians, but right. <laughs> this this is just right. like some dude who's like, I do clerical work and I have a gun and <laughs> I, this is my Marshall who, you know, she's pretty good at a lot of things, very physical, but she's not necessarily like ingrained into like a warrior culture she is from alderaan right Right. this this is like stuff that she was forced to become as opposed to having grown in and yeah maybe it's just a byproduct of the success of this season where we've gotten such amazing action sequences that yeah going back to the style that it was in the first season is seems a little uh dated already in one year and, and and that's it's not like a sad thing because, like, it's great that Mandalorian is, like, really building up its, you know, characters, its their skill sets, locations, and everything. But, like, again, like, this episode, it's, like, a reminder of, like, man, like, Mando, like, and Baby Yoda have come so far, and their friends have come so far. Like, do you remember, like, running away in a little village of Cardoon, like, being chased by an yeah. ATSD? Like, before... Now, like, Mando would have, have, like, you know, he'd have, like, a his jetpack just climb up and, like, and the, whoever's in that ATSD, if you, if it was, like, today, right? Current Mando. So, right. like, like, they've changed dramatically. And it, it's funny because I thought this episode, a lot of the cuts, not only did they, like, hide, like, a lot of the weaknesses of the episode, but all the cuts really, like, centered around making Carl Weathers look like a cool action guy. And <laughs> like, I mean, it's fine. It's his episode, and I have to give him mad props for like really balancing like a very plot-heavy uh, episode that could have just kind of gone sideways, but was very focused for the most part. But he he definitely did himself a lot of favors. But like, okay, like you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm shooting down a tie fighter. He's like, oh snap, it's gonna crash into the uh, transport. I gotta jump out of the way, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like definitely, definitely a lot of action shots for himself. 
Yeah, and he did a, and he did a good job too. Like I think he did a, a very good job yeah. directing this episode. It was just on some of the action scenes, the editing was just a little weird to me. That was my only major critique. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like he's living every kid's dream of like of of basically being in a western. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like but kids this westerns, is kind of like a western on steroids. Yeah. Kids Westerns are Star Wars since the 70s, let's be real. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But, I mean, like, I think we should really just jump into, like, one of the biggest things, though, was the First Order possible tease, right? Like, yep. I, I think we owe a bit of a small apology to you, Jared. Like, me and Liam were very adamant that, like, Nah, there's no first order stuff. It's only five years after Return of the Jedi. Like, Psych. It's like they're yeah. incubating Snoke. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And then you see like a proto Snoke, and you're like, even if it isn't him, you're like, okay, like there's some crazy things going on here. Yeah, and like I was, I was uh, reading up on this a little bit, um, um, and you know, it was like, yes, this not might not be Snoke because. Uh, because Moth isn't like, uh, he's not, he's not like um, involved with the First Order or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but say that they do find, or they that they do make plans um, for for like this uh, this clone that is um, that can accept the transfusion from like Baby Yoda, and say like in the background they were working for palpatine the whole time i don't know i mean we can like entertain theories all day but i just feel like you know it has some connection or else like why would they put that in yeah. no agreed yeah i think they i think they are already trying to to build out uh the mandalorian as the beginning of the you know clone Wars style show of of the sequel trilogy which is completely shocking yeah. considering did the prequels when they initially bought star wars which is one of the reasons i was very adamant that i didn't think this would be connected to the sequel trilogy is because there's especially after the uh the rise of skywalker there was just so many people upset at the way it concluded upset with the last two movies um and i thought disney would take that approach again of trying to not touch the sequel trilogy with a 10-foot pole go back and either do prequels <laughs> or or just ignore it. I did, they do have the problem of having an entire land dedicated to the sequel trilogy in their parks. But but other than that, um, I thought they would try to ignore it as much. I think it shows how much they trust uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni because they're letting them do whatever they want. And I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, we. I know, like we mentioned this before, but. The Rebel sequel is still out there. We don't know if it's for sure happening, right? We don't know if there's anything that implies it's it's gonna switch over to live action or if it's like integrating the Mandalorian or whatnot. But there are a lot of different stories that both of these guys want to tell, and stuff that could tie into the First Order, stuff that could you know really shape the New Republic, but for it to happen this early, for it to be like so like present, so 
important to the plot to this point? Like, you could honestly just say that you could write this season where, look, Mando's going around taking armor from people like Boba Fett who don't, you know, who, you know, he doesn't think that they're worthy of like the Mandalorian armor. You know, you could still have the Bo-Katan episode, and then you could just be like, okay, yeah, and then there's Gideon involved because he's got the dark saber. And yeah, that's that creates like this whole like very Mando Mando show. But now you're also like, no, there's the whole Ahsoka angle, like what happened in the five years after she supposedly went off with Sabine, right? To find uh Ezra. Is she still looking for Ezra? Um, right, like how does she play into uh what is it, Moff Gideon's plans? Because you know, Gideon has his scientist was mentioning, like, oh, we need more blood. We're tracking down uh, Mandalorian ship now because, you know, the repair p- repairs were done and now there's a tracker on that ship and he's going mm-hmm. straight for Corvus. Like, there's so many different angles that they're hitting it from and to just throw on, like, hey, Gideon might also have some connection with the First Order, by the way. Like, just to throw that on top is like, wow, they're <laughs> really putting a lot of depth into, like, what's going on. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've seen anything past this episode in the trailers. We're for the second half of the season. We don't know what's going on. Not even a visual clue. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. The last shot I remembered going into this um, was the speeder bike chase. We got that in this episode. So yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I think that's the beauty of this franchise, too, though. Like, there, there's just so much ambiguity in, like, the actual, um, the saga that, you know, there's so much room to play and fill the gaps. Because I, I just feel like, you know, Snug was never explained at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just feel like there's, there's a lot of opportunity for them to, to be able to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as Liam was saying, like, the clone warsification of the 30 years between return of the jedi and the force awakens it's it's shocking in a way that it's happening so fiercely and so soon right like i know i know a lot of people like leah mentioned like you know last two movies were not their cup of tea right people who loved episode eight didn't like episode uh seven as much people who liked episode seven didn't like episode eight people who hated both hated episode nine a lot people who uh were fans of either the first or second of the sequel trilogy hated nine people hated people who hated episode nine and not the other two like there's (laughs) there's a lot of like dissenting opinions but right lucasfilm is very clear like you know what like yeah this might not have been as well planned or as structured as we were hoping it to be, or even as well received. But does that mean that we're not going to eventually make this into an elevated story, just like the prequel trilogy has become? Like it, I, I give I give a full round of congrats to have the audacity to just do that to Lucasfilm to just ignore well, a lot of what like uh, of the criticisms. But to also oh, yeah, understand absolutely. that, like, those criticisms don't come from a good place. And 
if it means that we have to add something a little different to our shows, a little twist, little teases to like really build up what the sequel trilogies will ultimately be known for, might as well do the hard and dirty work right now. And I, I do commend them also for standing their ground because this is the yeah. really the first no, time I, they've I agree. put their and ground. Like, because this, that... oh, you guys, Jared. To... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You go ahead. Hello. Hello, Jared. Are, are you cutting out on this? Sorry, my audio is kind of uh, messed up right now. No worries. No worries. Yeah, we can we can hear you. I can, you. I, can, I can fill the gap if you need me to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's fine. No worries. No worries. Go go ahead. <laughs> um, I was saying, this is the first time they've the Disney Lucas film has really stood their ground, um, post Last Jedi, on anything, um. And they've uh, post Last Jedi. They tried to change it up. They, you know, sideline Ryan Johnson's trilogy pretty much indefinitely. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Uh, they changed directors on Episode Nine and writers, which I still attribute mostly to the death of Carrie Fisher. But um, you could argue that it was because of the Last Jedi's uh, reception. Um, they've canceled the anthology movies in favor of tv shows they've <laughs> fired writers off of obi-wan hired new ones uh it's been a it's been a mess and this is them finally saying you know what we made these and we're proud of them and we're actually going to try to fill in that gap and explore the sequel trilogy timeline which even as someone who likes most of the movies in the sequel trilogy timeline it is the worst story of the three trilogies the just the overall plot is the weakest and has the least substance in my opinion and so um i think it really needs to be fleshed out and it's mainly because it doesn't have anything to tag on to because there is 30 years that we don't know about um yeah and i mean the 30 years is just reflective of like how old our original trilogy stars were and you know for there to be like a big distance as opposed to being like oh five years after Return of the Jedi, everything just collapsed again. Like, no, we want to, I think all intentions were there from the beginning to, you know, really vindicate what the original three did, like to save the galaxy, to put everything back in order, you know, to, you know, essentially to say like, yeah, they, they did win. They did have victory. Um, I think the death part for me right now, what I still struggle with is, I, I see the sequel trilogy as a as the most personal story um, of of all the three trilogies. We could say the prequels are very politically motivated, and Anakin is like the tipping point, like what sets everything into an even more chaotic and crazed future. You could say the originals are about a about the galaxy resisting, and then the son, and eventually the daughter of Anakin. You know fighting back to restore justice and save Anakin from his own mistakes and whatnot. But I think the sequels are just to show how as much as we want to celebrate the Skywalkers for what they've done to the galaxy, they also 
cause a lot of harm. They're they're the most targeted, abused family in this galaxy, and their abuser is Palpatine. And mm-hmm. even if it even if there wasn't Palpatine in the sequel trilogies, it it would it, it's fair to say that the falling generation, you know, eventually coming to grips that their grandfather was Darth Vader, right? That their parents, you know, had a fight against were basically destined to always be caught up in a conflict to restore justice, right? And to understand that, you know, because of their lineage, there will be people always coming for them, always, you know, trying to cause havoc on the galaxy, knowing because they are the Skywalkers. And then to have Palpatine in the final film reveal that, you know, that Rey is his granddaughter and it's his way of saying, look, the Force helped create the Skywalker lineage to resist all my plans. Maybe I should make my own powerful force lineage to destroy the Skywalkers finally. And for Rey to kind of stand up on top, you know, disown her Palpatine lineage and to become an adopted Skywalker. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't like that, but I think it shows that the sequel trilogy is the most personal story of like, you know, even if the Skywalkers had to die, what they lived for, what they ultimately accomplished, what they really meant for the force for the whole galaxy i think that that's what the sequel trilogy is trying to say it it, it hasn't because it's such a small two-year story you know with very different like angles especially with how the last jedi and force awakens feel like two very different movies and then they're both shoved together and the rise of skywalker like yeah i mean the story isn't great right now and it sucks that we have to say in star wars again that we need uh auxiliary auxiliary uh, media to like you know clean it up patch the story all together make it really delectable but that is the situation that we're in and it's comforting to know that disney acknowledges that and knows that they can make everything that they've come out with even better than before yeah i agree and i want to clarify i was not saying the sequel movies are bad i'm just also and i think you guys understood that but i want to clarify it for the people listening mm-hmm. the sequel movies aren't bad it's just that the timeline's so disconnected right now from what we knew that i think i understand a lot of those people who are trying to say that it doesn't feel like it connects to their star wars and I think stuff like the Mandalorian and stuff like the Rebel sequel and whatever other stuff we inevitably get for the next 10 years, that's all going to make it feel like our Star Wars because we're going to get that bridge that we uh, never really got. And that's not the fault of the, the films, per se. Um, it's mainly just the facts that because the actors were older, we had to start 30 years later. And we when we start we don't really have any of those recognizable elements from the previous three movies and there are six movies really where they all fit into each other. Now um, our galaxy looks completely different than how Return of the Jedi ended, but yeah, we never got to really see the, the new Republican work. We never got to see what the effects of our victory were and how they kind of fell apart. And we have gotten some pieces and some books and stuff but through some of these shows i think we'll really get that definitive answer on 
you know, how did our version of these characters in this world get to where it was in episode seven, eight, and nine. And then I think seven, eight, and nine will be a lot more well-received because it'll start to really feel a part of Star Wars. Yeah. Hey, can you guys answer me this? <clears throat> um, was it ever explained in like the expanded material of how the First Order actually started? Well, that, that's the thing, right? Like we've all been fed pieces, right? And the majority of our pieces have come from, admittedly, books and comics. Um, and the books in question here are, you know, the Aftermath trilogy, which takes place in the year after Return of the Jedi, and kind of explains how Ray Sloan uh, and Gallius Rex kind of forge the remaining uh, Imperials into like this feral and like fighting group with their last stand on Jakku because it was always intended to if that if Palpatine didn't live that uh, the Empire wouldn't live without him and whoever survived from it would be worthy of the next incarnation of the true Sith Empire as opposed to just an Imperial Empire that was built off of the New Republic and Palpatine kind of plugged himself into um, and then we have Bloodline which Again, excellent novel, um, and it picks up six years before uh, episode seven, and it kind of shows how much like how it, it's it's very reflective of like American politics with how our Senate and our Congress has like in general been gridlocked, right? Two parties very opposed to each other, um, and shows how like the New Republic has become very stagnant and stuck in their political ways, which are very reminiscent and built off of the old Republic ways. And then having Leia's uh, secret of being the daughter of Vader kind of come out and kind of put her in a very difficult position politically where she couldn't lead the new Republic, but her also going on this quest with another Senator and understanding that, you know, different militia groups have been getting funded and kind of, getting resources from people uh, from the unknown regions to eventually, you know, cause serious damage to the New Republic, more than just terrorist attacks, more than just uh, influential coverage and in media throughout the galaxy, but to like create the full first order that we come. Those are the hints that we've gotten, but they are books and Books are not the most common thing for Star Wars fans to digest. It's just not plausible to get, assume that everybody can get their hand and have the time to read these books and comics. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of why um, the stuff we get in books are usually very vague. They don't tell us anything directly. So we don't have any super direct answers on the First Order's origins. Um, we have a lot of vague yeah, stuff that we can kind of piece together. Yeah. Uh, and and a lot of times the books are constantly getting um, retconned in movies or, or TV shows. And then they'll go back and say, well, this is what the book really meant from a certain point of view, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> which is the easiest thing to pull <laughs> Right. And so we, I don't, 
that that's why the prospect of getting some Snoke stuff and some First Order stuff, whether it's in the Mandalorian or in a different show, getting it in some type of visual format is going to be the most uh, clear way we get that answer to how all this started. Right. Because I think no matter what a book tells us, it's never going to tell us anything specific enough to where we can point to that as the actual fact. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I guess, like, to kind of wrap that up, that idea is, I mean, there, I think it's fair to say that there's Star Wars fans of all ages, you know, all genders, all backgrounds, you know, we all come at it from different angles, but a large, large chunk of the fandom is still very much older fans who are there, who see the original trilogy as their holy grail, you know, nothing can touch it, nothing is going to be ever as good as it and you know it it is certainly a viewpoint that i can understand because it is hard to criticize those original three i personally criticize episode six a lot but that's a that's a discussion for another day but um i think a lot of those fans right when the original trilogy ended they wanted to see more stories of you know, their heroes, Luke Skywalker, Leia, Han Solo, the New Republic, Lando, everyone, what they were doing. And obviously Lucas wanted to go more into the prequels. He also wanted to take a break from Star Wars. You know, he, and by the time he got into the prequels, you know, we, it, it's like seeing a story that we already know the outcome to. We're, we, we already know that Anakin's going to go bad and eventually his son is going to turn him to back to the light side before he dies. So these new adventures like the Thrawn trilogy and like all the books and comics that came out in the games, especially in the late 90s and, and stuff like that, were really big for those fans because they're like, okay, this is a continuation of the story that we really love, the characters. What will the galaxy look like with them, right? And I think it's fair to say that the EU makes Luke and Leia and Han, you know, all, all of them, like, extremely long-lasting and powerful. Like, you know, they're clearly, like, 60, 70 years old, but still better than a lot of the younger generation. Like, <laughs> the, the EU had a way of kind of saying, like, oh, it's cool that there's a new generation, but, you know, they're, they're still not going to be as great as the original guys, right? So mm -hmm. for them, all right, with this time gap, with the sequels, it's like, okay, we wanted to see so many cool stories. We know that this was only the beginning of like their hard work, their legacy. And with the EU wiped out, with all those games and gone, books gone, right? And to suddenly just drop us in 30 years, right, later with a new pseudo-empire, a new pseudo-rebellion, a new cast of characters that aren't necessarily related to those original three you know uh, other than ben solo i can see why it was a disappointment and it's also disappointing to point out that there's still a lot of depth that is missing from the sequels because two of the films are literally back to back without any time for these characters to grow and the final film is only a year later and both the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy we have massive time skips, right? There's a 
four-year gap between uh sorry there's a three-year gap between episode four and five and then another one year almost from five to six in the prequels we have a 10-year gap from episode one to episode two and then a three-year gap and that naturally allows your characters to grow change the state of affairs in the galaxy to happen the sequels are limited by kind of the time crunch that they wrote themselves into Yeah, it's the the other two trilogies outside of the original trilogy all have problems with either one the covers way too much time for three movies, and two the sequels cover way too little time for three movies, <laughs> and so we the uh, filmmakers have been trying to figure out you know one of the things that made the original trilogy so special, and they think it's it's more of the visual elements or the stylistic choices but i think that's a big part of it because it was perfectly paced it was perfectly spread out and to where you could skip a year and have some changes but some things still the same and so you didn't have anakin change from a nine-year-old to a 19-year-old yeah but you also didn't have ray <laughs> leave in one movie and then show up on the next one and literally nothing's changed Uh, it is certainly a, a difficult thing for anybody entering into the Star Wars universe as a creator to acknowledge that the originals are hard to top because there was nothing else for them to, you know, kind of fight up against. There was nothing, no other canon for them to, you know, kind of affect their story. It was a simple hero's journey, you know. The New Hope, the Fall, and then the Rise Again of these heroes. It's a very classical story. It draws from a lot of different elements that are very wonderful in storytelling and whatnot. And it's a very neatly wrapped story. You could ignore the prequels. You could ignore the sequels. Just say that this is enough. And it, yeah, I mean, in that sense, the originals for all intents and purposes will be the best in terms of just great pacing and great execution. I, it's, it's totally fair to say that. Um, but I think a lot of these older fans who missed out on seeing more and more of their uh, original stars, even if they're not necessarily getting Luke Skywalker or uh, Han Solo adventures, getting to see the state of affairs of the galaxy and Jedi Empire, you know, adding in the Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, and all those, those are very cool things that to some degree are contained. But it seems like what the First Order teases with uh, the Dark Trooper stuff that we've seen, like, you know, it, it's showing that, you know, it wasn't just 30 years of peace. There were a lot of things to work out, there was a lot of things that still needed to be settled in the galaxy. And while not necessarily all done by those big three, there were a lot of new heroes that emerged. And in those 30 years helped create a relatively peaceful, prosperous time for so many people after three, four decades of terror and collapse and the way of life for so many people in the galaxy to just suddenly change because 
of the Skywalkers. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, and also, we need to see it from the Republic side, too. I know the Imperial stuff is the most interesting because the First Order appears seemingly out of nowhere to take over again and, and is such a powerful force when it shows up. But I want to see also on the Republic side how they build these relationships to the point where in The Rise of Skywalker they have that many people come to help them at the end of the movie. Or how did they build yeah. these relationships to where, you know, when they're completely decimated, they're still able to survive for a year and rebuild enough to be able to take down this war machine. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you bring that up, though, because, like, um, uh, you know, the, I forgot his name, um, or uh, Paul Sun Hyung's um, character, uh, the captain, um, that, he's one he's like one of the patrol people in, in the outer rim right yeah like yeah that that cameo that he had at the end and when he was talking about um like these these uh these incidents that were kind of all simultaneously reoccurring um and and he needed like local support to bring them down do you think that hints at that uh that unity at all I think it does. I think it does, um, especially people like Cara Dune, who seem to not want to be a part of the New Republic, but yet, you know, when the time comes, they'll fight against the Empire no matter who, uh, in what form. Um, I think that there's a lot of that going on, and I think that's a big hint at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. But I also think... Um, the New Republic had this weird sense of that they were in control because the Empire disappeared. And I want to see their arrogance and their mm -hmm. ultimate fall because they assumed they were they were in control of everything. And the First yeah. Order stuck yeah. up out of nowhere. Uh, so there's also that, that misplaced sense of control across the whole galaxy, similar to how the Empire had it. Um, ultimately was their downfall but i think the fact that it is only about a year to a year and a half between the new republic being destroyed and the first order being destroyed it, it the the, the, uh, the new republic and the resistance they had allies that were obviously not showing themselves initially and i think that's a really good point because i think cardoon is a good example of that yeah and i, I mean i think when we Look at the New Republic from just all the media that we've gotten so far. Yeah, like if you compare it to the New Republic of the old. No, they're
keep whatever territory internally. There are wars that caused the entire galaxy to force imperial and rebellion cooperation uh, uh, in the Republic cooperation. There's there's already a precedent for showing that you know this new Republic isn't new. It, it's just the old Republic brought back and assuming that things will work out just fine in the name of democracy and all that. When, you know, someone like Grief Karga mentions like, you know, this is, this, this is the outer rim, right? If the empire couldn't settle this place, you know, couldn't bring everyone in line, what makes the new Republic think that they could? And there's an arrogance there. And there's also just the, a sort of sadness knowing that a lot of the people who fought for the galaxy's freedom, like Mon Machna and all that, they themselves call for the demilitarization of the New Republic because they're so ardent believers in, you know, the olden ways. The, I, yeah, I guess like just in the democracy and the principles of the Republic that they're unwilling to believe and they don't really have to believe for almost like 15, 20 years that anything could go wrong because their opponent intentionally maimed itself and escaped to the outer rims, right? The unknown region where, and they could just, you know, do, I guess, I guess like it, I don't want to get too political here, but for like a lot of people in America, Trump is leaving office and Biden is not necessarily the best candidate, but you're hoping things are going to be calmer and quieter, right? You're not hoping for as much, energy and news coverage you're like okay just let things be cool and i think i think that was the little trap that the new republic found itself in like especially in the core worlds and the midroom where things are have always been stronger for them they the status quo from the past just worked they didn't have to do anything more than that and i think that's why i think that's why as liam said we should see more than new republic but we should also be able to see the reasons why they believe so strongly and just sticking to the past and not really acknowledging that, you know, things had changed dramatically, right? They, they didn't win the war in the, uh, through political processes. They didn't win the war through, you know, strong supporters in the midroom in the core world. They won the war because of people who lost their planets to the empire, people who struggled in poverty and slavery and, came up together to become a unified force and break apart the empire. And for some reason, the new Republic acknowledges that, but doesn't really build off of that. And I think it's really interesting to note that even people like, uh, what is it? Is, it, is his name Carson Blue? I think, I think that's his uh, pilot name, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think even, um, he's, yeah. Even he's acknowledging that like, you know, People in the New Republic really just don't get it out here. Uh, he's one of the lawmen who actually sees what's going on. And right. it's also frustrating for him. It's very clear that he's like, I really want to be a devoted New Republic man and sing the praises. But there are things happening out here that I, I can't ignore. I, I think that's a good point. And um, especially with the idea of those who don't learn from the past 
are doomed to repeat it. And that's the new Republic to a nutshell or in a nutshell, yeah. because it's the, the Republic worked. And I understand why they based uh, their model on that because it stood for a thousand years. It was the most stable form of government that they'd had in so long. Um, especially if they, when we finally get the old Republic stuff, they go with the original idea of there basically being a war like every 10 years between the Jedi, the Sith and the Mandalorians. Um, but, and that was the most stable form of government they had really ever seen and really ever known. And so it's a good idea to go back to it. But at the same time, in a time of unrest, you can't just get rid of your entire military <laughs> and <laughs> expect to, you know, be fine. And that's where the, the hubris comes in. And I know Bloodlines is a lot about that. And that's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite Star Wars books. But, and Leia's disagreement with that and her frustration with the way the new republic's being operated um, yeah. while also trying to be loyal to it there's yeah. a lot of good stuff there but as as great of a, a book it is right you know and as much as we both are going to tell people this is one of the top canon books to read this is something you should pick up seeing things on screen whether it be animated or it be live action hits harder it lasts longer it's more discussed it's more talked about it's easier to share so you know the mandalorian really is in a position now where they can really say a lot of things about the new republic say a lot of things about the remaining imperial forces say things about the future of the galaxy and kind of build into that sequel trilogy that seems more like the final piece in the puzzle as opposed to a strong a uh, solid final third, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I think, uh, so, oh, you, do you want to say something? No, you go ahead. Um, I, I think that's a, I think we've also uh, gone really into less theory and more just political realities of Star Wars here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of also speaks to how much you know, we're affected by the world that we live in and how we've all kind of grown older and understood what, you know, government and politics and military and all those things really affect our own daily livelihoods. But I think we should uh, transition into something a little bit more lighter. Um, how about we uh, go into what, uh, how we would rank the Mandalorian episodes? Like, where does this episode fall amongst the 12 that we've seen so far? Well, for me, it's been really tough to rank this one. But last week was definitely a top five for me. Um, and I put it at number five just because I wasn't ready yet to, to say it was better than my other four. But the more I think about it, it could be raising. But I still have it at my number five. This episode is really tough for me because I didn't love the episode as a whole. But I did love the plot of the episode. It's very prequels of that con <laughs> in that yeah. context. Um, I love the plot of the prequels. I think the prequels is the best plot in all of Star Wars, all the the whole journey. But the movies are uh, not the best. So right now, if I'm counting down from from twelve, or for, yeah, from twelve, right? Yeah, I have. 12 still, episode 5, The Gunslinger. 
11 episode 4 sanctuary 10 episode 1 the mandalorian 9 episode 6 the prisoner and then i'm really struggling between episode 12 and episode 10 for my 7 and 8 because i think i enjoyed episode 10 more from just the entire the entire episode was more fun to me it was more thrilling and i really liked what it did because it did some really different things but this episode furthers the plot far more it's going to be far more memorable when you look back on it and it's it might be one of the most important episodes in the whole show uh so i'm really torn so i'm going to put there as a tie right now at my number seven between the two (laughs) hey that's fair that's fair what about you jared you know, actually, I was going to say I had the same dilemma, but I feel like I'm going to have to bump this up above episode 10 for me. I just I just really loved so many moments of this episode. I think on um, a plot standpoint and just on, a, on an initial, like, fragmented sequence standpoint, there were just so many moments that were so memorable for me. Um, you know, in terms of the cinematography, in terms of like the CG work that they, they put into this episode, um, I agree that like of of all the things that you guys said of of Carl Weathers making himself look like an action hero and <laughs> <laughs> and all those things. Um, but I just I just really it just felt like a classic Star Wars adventure for me. And I, I just um, you know, all the baby baby Yoda moments as well, um, all the the Easter eggs, all the things that they're hinting at, and all of the, you know, Pandora's boxes that they've essentially opened. Um, I just really, um, really enjoyed this one. Yeah. So it, it it goes from eight, seven, and twelve to my top three, but I'm keeping it as top three just to just to keep my my mind in check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, just like you two, I. There's a lot of dilemmas for me because I there's a lot to love about this episode. I mean, I think to anybody listening to us, this episode's made us think a lot about Star Wars, this whole story that we know, you know, the Mandalorian story, the possibilities for in everything that this episode offers us. It it's I think it's it offers us more taste of things to come. And in a really well packaged and exciting episode, but it's not necessarily a standout in terms of pacing or character work. It, it, again, like just like Liam said, it's it's got the prequel effect to it. It's got such a cool story, and it's clearly leaning into something even crazier happening for the latter half of the season. But is it is it a top episode for me? No. I I I'm sad to admit I don't think it's the top episode and that I think that's also a positive because that should tell you how amazing quality wise this whole show has been right you'd think being a big uh, upgrade from season one to season two in terms of budget and everything and maybe the story would also kind of like falter just a little bit because you know if you want to show off the action show off all the merchandise show off baby Yoda but the story is really, really good. Ultra, and it's really building itself off really well this whole season. Especially all the side quests are still extremely important and connected 
the overall story. But it just doesn't have that same thrill to me as the heiress or the marshal, for example. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's above the passenger, but that's because I think the passenger's story is a very 80s sci-fi horror uh, <laughs> trope analysis and, you know, re a reverse engineered episode of sorts. And okay. chapter 12 is the classic, here, I got my toys, let's play Star Wars. Oh my God, did you see this happen? Oh, well, guess what? This happened. Like, there's so many things that are thrown in my face, and I love all of that, but do I think it was the best ultimate package? No, I, I, I think I'd say it's somewhere around five to eight. It's a mid-tier Mando episode, but again, the Mandalorian is just really good overall, so no complaints mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and next episode is the Jedi, right? I think it's called the Jedi. It's is it called the Jedi? I think it's called the Jedi, and that's what some rumors are being put out. It's supposed to be forty-eight minutes or so, so it's gonna be longer. The following episode is gonna be called the Sorcerer, so maybe that's even more Ahsoka stuff. Like, it feels like we're on the cusp of the Mandalorian taking things to another gear, which is why I think it's a great step, but it's not. It's not one of the greatest episodes. I think it understands that it's it's not like. It's the first round of a fight. It's not. It's not ready for like the big punches quite yet. So yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I'm sorry if I can't really give a number like it would in the last two episodes, but it, it's it's frustratingly very good. If if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think. Speaking of Jedi, I think another thing yeah, we should. Speaking of Jedi. We should, uh, <laughs> Make quite clear. We know yeah. now that the Razor Crest is repaired finally. You know, man's back to having a well-oiled truck ready to. Well-oiled <laughs> truck. Dude, I can't get that image out of my mind every time I watch this show now. Like yeah. I'm just thinking of a a trucker and his son. Because <laughs> it's like we've seen such abuse to this character. <laughs> like I I I saw this meme recently where it's um. It's from The Last of Us, and where someone tweets, like, tell oh me who God, suffered yeah. more than Ellie, right? <laughs> and then, like, the bottom picture is just a picture of the Razor Crest. And it's, like, it's so <laughs> true. Like, Mando's, you know, handled himself well enough, right? Baby Yoda's been relatively safe this season. The poor Razor Crest is just dying. <laughs> poor Razor Crest. It's just dying, right? And to finally yeah. have it repaired, but now we're going... Ahsoka and it's repaired but has like its own it's it's a flying trap right now right it, it, it's it, we know yeah. things are about to not end so well for this initial meeting it'll be wonderful to see but we all know that something bad is going to happen so yeah and dark troopers dark troopers uh, maybe yeah. I, I know we just to quickly go back to this episode the whole dark trooper tease right like and Dark Troopers and the Extended Universe are just robots, right? But from mm-hmm. what we've seen in the whole M-Count, midichlorian trans, uh, transfusion of blood and whatnot, are we getting, like, strange, like, horrible, hor- horrific, like, cyborgs 
right, that are wearing this mm-hmm. armor, right? Like, is is that like their own version of like a Darth Vader life support? Like, is Gideon really going to have his own like force wielding cyborgs to just dispense? Right? Like that that's that's right. crazy to think about. It it's not necessarily the most Star Wars thing I could dream of. It's not the most you know like uh philosophical or most spiritual but it's the most grounded scary modern perspective of star wars that we're going to get and to have that possibly in some way be tied to the jedi or ahsoka is just like uh, it, it, it gets my heart pumping i i that's what i can say it, it really does get my heart yeah. pumping. Yeah. And, and I feel like there's so many, um, this is such a multifaceted um, theory, I guess, but since um, Bo-Katan has, uh, you know, she she has a vendetta for uh, Moff Gideon um, because she's looking for the Darksaber. And we're assuming that he has it at this point, right? Yeah, he, he and, has it, yeah you know if he is going to you know attack um and and attack um like uh Adin at at this point in time and when he's meeting Ahsoka like do you think there's this there's going to be this huge like reunitement in 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 a cast sense um in like the center episode or like is it leading up to something of that grandeur like do you think that there's going to be the accumulation of dark troopers, Ahsoka, you know. Uh, um, I don't know, but I want, to, I want to hear. What Liam has to say <laughs> from a budget that. stamp. But I don't think so. <laughs> I would love to see that. I mean, I'm waiting for the Mandalorian to have a breakout gigantic battle. Oh, like yeah. The crate dragon battle was awesome. I, I'm, sh- I'm, they seem to have spent most of that on the first episode, but that also could turn around and make them spend a ton of money on the finale. Um, that just doesn't seem to ever go the gigantic battle yeah. route unless it's in space. Um, but I would love to see that. Yeah, it. it I, guess I guess it's in a way. It kind. Of, it's kind of leading there, right? It, it yeah. feels. It feels like it is, but it's almost like as Star Wars fans that we're conditioned to be like, if it's not CGI, it's not going to be big, right? Yeah. We've seen yeah. so many characters in full suited armor, right? Monsters, locations that are like, again, extremely impressive. But then to say like, oh, you thought what you saw in these first few episodes was like a nice upgrade? No, no, no. We're saving it for this big explosive like final arc or something. Oh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I want to see that, but it seems a bit too good to be true. Like. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I know, like in episode nine, we're like, "Does Finn is Finn gonna lead his uh, stormtrooper rebellion?" Which, again, I think that's something that could happen in some other format. But 
it, it, it didn't happen in the film. And if we're this get a huge battle like this in the Mandalorian, right? It would blow my mind. Yeah. yeah. You, well, you talking about the uh, force-powered cyborgs of the Dark Troopers like that? Oh my gosh, that got the wheels turning in my mind. I started yeah. thinking about uh, I think it's the skulls and and Metal Gear Solid. Have you guys played Metal Gear Solid Five? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those guys and, and like that's what I started thinking about just jumping around, <laughs> and uh, that would be pretty darn cool. But also, I don't know how Mando would deal with all those guys. So he would need somebody to fight with him. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, again, Din, he's just a trucker, just trying to take care of his little (laughs) son. And he's really got himself in a few situations where he's literally just relied on his armor to be like, okay, this is enough defense for me to throw some bombs in a hallway of repeating blasters, right? Like... (laughs) He, he is not he is not like the ultimate leader of Mandalore, right? He is not the epitome to um, not even close. <laughs> not even close, right? He is just a really cool, solid dude, but he's not necessarily like some dude who's gonna like end up wielding the dark saber and you know, allying right. with the Jedi and all that. He's just a dude who's just like, I'm trying my best out here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to get this baby back to the Jedi, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and that's then, that's so cool about his his intentions are so pure that that's literally the only thing he wants to do. And he yeah, could get involved right. in the biggest conflict in the galaxy. <laughs> and he does not care. <laughs> and and, and it, it's wonderful. Home. It, it, it's wonderful that he's doing that, but like, Again, this is a man who, one, doesn't know what a Jedi is when asked by Bo-Katan. So he's like, I don't know what the Force is. I don't know what the Jedi are. But i got to go and deliver them. <laughs> deliver my boy. <laughs> right? So might as well. He's, like, very adamant that he's going to do that. And then, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think Din really knows what he's uh, getting himself into. Because even if he does successfully give away Baby Yoda, right? Like, he's a changed man. He can't just go back to being a bounty hunter. Like, he's been a full papa for, like, a good season now, right? Like, he's had eight episodes where he's just like, man, like, and and, in this last episode, he was literally just trying to tell us, it's like a kid when, like, your dad's, like, trying to, like, like, work underneath the sink, and he's like, hey, hand me those hand me those flyers oh no no i meant those right oh i love that sequence (laughs) like no put the red where the blue was put the blue with the red was oh my like it's he he is a full dad now and there's no way he can go around and be like oh i can bring you in warm or i can bring you in cold like he he's not that badass anymore He's, he's badass because of what he does but he can't say things like that or act like he's some boba fett right he's he's clearly not yeah yeah, his focus is completely shifted. And I guess, I guess, like on that a, a similar note, um, can we talk about uh, Din's like arc for a second? Because I feel like I mentioned this last episode, where or was it last episode, or the first episode, um, where I feel Din is uh, Din is kind of like stretching uh, further from his um, uh, the. Um, what was it called? The Watch's um, ideal ideology. Yeah. yeah, and and I think another step um, that we didn't really mention uh, yet, but 
um, was that that scene of him chowing down with uh, Baby Yoda and him having partially uh, partially having his helmet off. And obviously, you know, he has to eat sometime, right? Yeah. Was that in this episode? That was in this episode, right? Well, um, for, for what? Um, when he was like, like just eating, he was eating with baby. Yeah, no, that was going away from that ideology. But and and I just bring this up because the reason why he's blindly bringing Baby Yoda to the Jedi in the first place is because he's doing this for his, um, because of the ideals of the Watch. Yeah. Um, and if that is you know devoid from uh, his mind, you know, at the point of the actual delivery, like. Will he have any of that left to to actually be like, wait a minute, yeah, like you said before, I'm so attached to this to this kid that like, why am I just blindfully giving him to these strangers, you know? And I think that that kind of like leads to a whole different dynamic in itself. But um, I'm really curious to see how that develops and like how his his faith kind of is questioned and. And how he kind of loses um, loses the way. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also perfect that he's going to Ahsoka, right? Like, right. Ahsoka, if you look at her just throughout her whole history, she has been a Jedi's Jedi, right? Even mm-hmm. Obi-Wan, like, sticks a little too much to the dogmatic principles of the Order. And he understands that he has nothing other than this and that's why he's kind of sticking to it but ahsoka shows that like no being a jedi doesn't necessarily mean being tied to the order like i know she wanted to come back by the clone wars by the siege of mandalore but for even though she's not a jedi after that she still lives by the jedi principles and i think the questions that din is having now being able to meet ahsoka who I don't know if she's actually a Jedi. I, I'm I'm really not sure if she's actually a Jedi or calling herself a Jedi at this point because as we've seen throughout Rebels, she didn't. And I know she's locked up on that temple on Malachor and she's changed and we don't know how she's changed, but she is the perfect person for Din to meet. Like she knows that, you know, the values that you carry yourself with, you know, how you treat other people, what you do with your abilities, those are what make you who you are. And it's not just about him having to stick to his taking, not taking off his helmet uh, as a child of the watch, right? Uh, restoring the old ancient ways. I mean, if Ahsoka were to just go by the old ancient ways, she'd be dead. Straight up, she would probably be the first person that Anakin would have had to kill. That's that's just a fact. But she really saw the state of the galaxy. She understood what it meant and realized, you know, there was a different way. And be questioned by the people who were raised by that she was raised by for so long without actually you know valuing what she's always done always been for and what she's done to protect countless people made her into a not a jedi and that's not a bad thing right and i think it brings up the idea that maybe we've seen din so far just try to collect 
uh, Boba Fett's armor and connect with all these other Mandalorians because he's like, okay, these guys will know the best way to proceed. And he's finding that there's a lot of different perspectives on proceeding and they're not all exactly set in stone. They're not all exactly the way, all right? They're mm-hmm. all possible ways. So to see him possibly lose his armor, you know, be without the things that visually define him as a Mandalorian, right? To see maybe Pedro Pascal's face, right? And a dude just in like some bounty or arm, hunter armor because he's been stripped of his Mando culture and some big explosive thing that happens with losing Baby Yoda or something or that having Ahsoka be the person that he can actually like lean on and learn from, I think is a very it's a very good thing for his development. I don't think anyone else could really explain to him that, you know, it's okay to be you. It's okay to have your own thoughts. It's okay to do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like in a way in that on kind of on that same note, I feel like Boba Fett might have something to do in that development too. Like he proves that he's still a badass without his armor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then Mando's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't need this. Yeah, and I mean, it would be sad to not see uh, Din with his armor, and I don't think there's any way that he's going to have his armor permanently gone or he's going to renounce the Mando ways or anything. No, I think I think those are things that he really values and have really made him into the type of person he wants to be. But he is really on that point of the journey where he needs to meet someone who can explain to him that Picking, picking and choosing isn't a bad thing. Find things that work for yeah. you, right? Um, yeah, I, and I think I think that also leads to the idea of like, okay, what about the other Jedi, right? Like the ones that we've seen so far, right? Who are alive, maybe not alive, are Ezra, Cal Kestis. Um, I think those are the only two major ones that, that we've had. I guess you could say Baby Yoda in a in a way too, but I, Baby Yoda is not really a Jedi, and I don't know if Baby Yoda will ever become a Jedi. But Ezra and Cal both consider so, themselves to be Jedi's, but they've they're also Jedi's of the past, in my opinion. Um, Cal is trying to rebuild the Order, just five years after um, what is it? Rise and uh, sorry, Revenge of the Sith, um, and we don't know how his story is going to end. It, he's not a player in uh, the original trilogy or has an effect on it in a way that Ezra does. And even Ezra's effect is diminished by the fact that he's kind of disappeared into space, right? Before anything bigger, any big team ups with Luke Skywalker or anything could happen. And Cal, for all intents and purposes, in his Force journey, has visited a lot of different force cultures that are not the Jedi that he may eventually just lead into as well, as opposed to just being a Jedi. Yeah. I am most interested um, with these other Jedi and the idea of what is the Jedi religion moving forward? Because you'll have Luke, right? And you have Luke trying to start his new order and he would have him and his apprentices and Ben as one of his apprentices and all of that. And we know kind of the general direction that that story goes. 
but also does Ahsoka have her own followers? Does Ezra come back to Ahsoka? Because Ezra's still, we think of him as old, but he's still relatively young, especially in Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. This is only five years after six. Um, and Rebels, when he disappears in Rebels, that's what, three years before six, four years before six? Uh, um, it's, it's right before New Hope. So, yeah, that's four yeah. years. Yeah. So, he's not much older. So, I don't think he's going to be, I think he'll be different. I think the Rebels sequel will obviously show that. I don't think he's going to be that different, especially if he's in The Mandalorian. I don't think he will be, but um, what what direction is the Jedi Order going into? Are there going to be different sects of of um, Jedi? There are going to be different groups that are really teaching each other different things, just like Mandalore. Um, but sorry, who, who, who's to, yeah, who's to say that we have a singular Jedi Order? Though, I think right. I think one of the biggest things that the sequels really hammered in was Luke did everything possible to recover the past. Everything, right? I know the High Republic is going to really show the Jedi at their peak powers and harmony and whatnot, but and Luke definitely tried to pick up everything he could from the prequel era before that, and by all accounts, he succeeded, right? He started his own temple and his own uh, academy following those ways. But because of the destruction and everything, you know, he's very adamant that the Jedi need to end. But it's also fair to point out that he also realizes that was a mistake. And part of that mistake as fans who can see it from more of an outside perspective is that he really relied too much on the past. I mean, Yoda's whole point about teaching failure, about, you know, teaching the next generation about the follies and mistakes is that he was looking too far. For a character that Yoda has described as always looking too forward to the future, to the stars, right? He made the mistake as he got older of looking back into the past, assuming that was what was appropriate for the Jedi Order. So the Jedi that we've known in the prequels and the originals and in the sequels don't really work, at least not in this current state of the galaxy. So I'm I'm really curious to see if Ezra sticks with the old Jedi ways, or if Cal Kestis never ends up creating a Jedi Order, but instead just kind of follows more of the very different Jedi philosophies, and sorry, not Jedi philosophies, but different Force philosophies, right? I think I think it's, and then how how does Rey eventually, by after Nine, really take things forward? Does she lean into finding other? force groups that she just try to do things better which i don't think is the smartest thing to do but doing things differently might be the best thing, best thing to do in her case i think ahsoka's group and I, w- I would like to see ahsoka kind of take on a group of people who she doesn't really consider jedi but they're all force users and they all look up to her and i'd like to see her in that more master type role uh, I think her group or her mentality is going to be much closer to what the the dogma of the Jedi says rather than mm-hmm. Luke's because Luke really never knew any Jedi who taught him uh, how the Order operated. Like he learned yeah. philosophies from Yoda and, he, and Obi-Wan, but he didn't see it. And Ahsoka was there and she got to see it all. 
She saw what worked and she saw what didn't. And I think she'd be a better teacher for anybody trying to learn how to be a Jedi than Luke could really ever be. And her her own conclusion on that could be that let's not try to be a Jedi Order. You know, as part of a government, you know, we should follow the will of the Force. We should let it guide us and direct us and take us where we need to. You know, kind of like how Qui-Gon was directed by the living Force by the end of his life, as opposed to just following the routine and mundane orders of the Jedi. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it also got, kind of goes back to how I brought up, I think, in the first episode, how there was this interesting thing that Disney was doing of building up not only the unknown regions for, like, the movies and the First Order and everything, but also Wild Space with Batu and possibly the Rebels, Filoni-verse characters and all that. Like, maybe, maybe Ahsoka just also, or Ahsoka you know, Cal, Ezra, whoever is still alive post-Return of the Jedi, maybe they just would draw themselves from political affairs, things that they don't need to interfere with because unless the whole galaxy is at stake, they don't have to do anything about it. It's going to be interesting to see where this all goes. Especially with, I think this story is going to be played out in so many different uh, areas. Like, the Rebel sequel will play it out, but also Mando and the next Fallen Order game. And will the next Fallen Order game take place before Episode 4? Or will they jump? Um, yeah, yeah. I think for continuity, you kind of need to do at least one more before Episode 4. But a lot and there's there's also plenty of jedi that are probably out there that we don't know about um and so there's kind of endless possibilities but i i do see it kind of falling into two camps i do see it kind of falling into the ahsoka philosophy and the luke philosophy interesting to see um, which way they go and if there's any crossover in the future yeah um I think uh, I think I want to kind of move the episode more towards the end here. Um, I, I, I guess just to give a few updates, um, just about just general Star Wars stuff. Uh, the Bad Patch uh, uh, animated show that's coming out in spring 2021 that's supposedly built off of the same Clone Wars animation tech and stuff. Apparently Bo-Katan is going to be a pretty big player there. Makes sense. You know, she was pretty big in Siege of Mandalore. Obviously, appearance in in The Mandalorian, so and uh, it's a show that's rumored to also have Ahsoka and Rex. So it, I'll be curious to see, you know, what changes for Ahsoka, what changes for Rex. You know, the state of the galaxy right after Order sixty six, um, as Vader is becoming this you know imposing force. Um, I guess another uh, piece of information to bring out is. Star Wars Squadrons, um, it's a game that, you know, it's very solid. It's a very, just after the original trilogy setting, you know, just in that first year, um, before the Battle of Jakku, that's where most of the campaign is centered around. But, you know, it's it's firmly embedded in the original trilogy art style. But 
that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's just indicative of being a smaller game. But for being a smaller game, they've come out with two big updates um, in November and December. And November, uh, we will be getting, I believe it's Foster ha- uh, Haven as a map and a bunch of new different uh, uh, pieces uh, like auxiliary weapon changes and uh, bomb disposal and system mechanical changes. And then in December, we're getting, amazingly, the TIE Defender and uh, the B-Wing, which are two big ships that people have been clamoring for, which for them to bring that in is just shows how much that the Star Wars fan base can really drive change um, and content, in essence. And on top of that, you know, uh, now there's going to be private matches. Now there's going to be custom matches. And for a game that's very focused on simulating space warfare, for all those things to be, you know, added in, uh, especially after they've announced it as a, a very completed game, no microtransactions, is really awesome to see. And I think if you haven't played Star Wars Squadrons uh, and you're listening to us, I think it's fair to say that we've all enjoyed it. I still play a lot. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to the updates. I know I need to get better. Um, yeah, I guess the grind doesn't stop. The grind doesn't stop with Star Wars out here. And as much as I want to continue talking more and more about Star Wars, I think I want to end my Star Wars bit with just a little update about my Star Wars journey. Uh, I finished Count Dooku Jedi Lost. Uh, I think it's a very oh. solid, solid book. I think the ending wasn't all too surprising for me but and it wasn't as intriguing as it originally felt but i think the pieces of count dooku's story that we've gotten from that book are extremely extremely fascinating fascinating in the sense that this is the first time we're seeing a fleshed out count dooku's life story and for it to almost surprisingly follow Anakin's story in a lot of ways, but also to follow Qui-Gon's and Obi-Wan's in a lot of ways is very interesting. He's a man of, he's a man of wealth and prestige and power in the galaxy, but his parents, his father gets rid of him because he thinks he's a freak. But he's uh, through the process of, his life story through reconnecting with his family and how it continues to affect his judgment and how he views his homeworld and his connection to the Jedi and his own struggles with seeing the Jedi becoming more and more, you know, built into their ways and more dogmatic for how it ended up coalescing together into a final product. I thought it was very awesome. I think, I think I see Count Dooku as even more of a tragic figure than I'd always seen him as. Um, I think he's a far more interesting tragic character than he is in episode two or three. But again, I think that's a great book to recommend. If you're open to listening to it as an audiobook, I'd recommend that as well because they probably have great sound effects and really good elements that suck you into the story. Uh, at being a script, it is a bit harder to read, but since the three of us here have all been in film classes. We are filmmakers. 
I think it's a lot easier for us to read something like that as opposed to the average Star Wars fan. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, for me, this week, I actually did a lot of Star Wars stuff this week. Oh, okay, okay. I have started my new, my annual uh, winter Star Wars marathon, which I usually do before every Star Wars movie comes out, but there's no movie this year or for the foreseeable future, so I think it's just going to make it tradition now um, to be a winter Star Wars marathon. Um, I watched... Um... All three prequels, which are always fun. Um, and then on top of that, I was going to start Tarkin. And I realized that there was a book that I started last December, right before The Rise of Skywalker, which I never finished. So I said, okay, I'm going to try to finish this. And it's uh, Resistance Reborn. Oh, oh, I've heard very good things. It's, yeah, it's the bridge story between Last Jedi and... Rise of Skywalker. I have not finished it yet. I have about 50 pages left. But it's good. I wouldn't say <laughs> it blows me away. Um, it's one of the very fun things about it is it's so canon-minded that it does bring in characters from video games, other books, comics, uh, all the movies, everything. And so that's really cool to see them all in one place because most part the movies are not going to end up ever acknowledging characters especially because a lot of the book characters are written into the stories after the movies have already been made yeah yeah but it was really cool to see all that like um shriv from battlefront 2 is in it and um they have uh the, all of um black squadron from the poe dameron comics and Ooh. Everybody, they're all in it. Snap, Wedge is in it. Uh, Nora Wexley, all so they they brought in everybody for this. It was and it was a big book leading into Rise of Skywalker. But like it was back in December when I started reading it. It hasn't like completely grabbed me because it is far more exposition and setup and this is what we're doing rather than complete big event that leads up to the movie mm -hmm. so i read anything and a number one uh critique usually revolves around does this enhance the movies because the books are usually something i never reread so once i read it once i'm usually done and unless it's really good so my my judgment is always based on does this make the movie better now knowing all this information and right now i'm not really sure if right uh, resistance reborn does that for the sequel trilogy i think it's a fun story and you're not going to be bored reading it but so far with only 50 pages left it might change my mind um it hasn't made me say this is necessary to read like other books like uh, Bloodline or Catalyst or other things that I've read that have completely enhanced the movies that they're um, proceeding. So I would say read it if you want a good sequel trilogy book, but it's not a great one. And I'd like to add that at least three-fourths of the Dooku Jedi Lost um, builds into something extremely fascinating. Um, but I do think that it ends a bit safe of a story. 
bit more of an expected end to the story, which isn't a bad thing. I think you have to also understand that it's a story that's set both in the past, but also the present. And the present is just after Asajj Ventress has become uh, an apprentice to Dooku. So, you know, there are some things that the combined stories have to, you know, compromise on. But I think, uh, again, just I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say not to read it. I would say if you're interested in learning about Dooku, who I think is one of the more curious characters of Star Wars history, definitely pick it up. But again, it is just like Liam said, a book that I'm going to read once, think it's cool, and move on. And, you know, I think a good way to move on to the end of this episode is to kind of just discuss what other things that we've been doing. I know for a lot of people that are listening in to our long and winding and rambling conversations about Star Wars, <laughs> it's it's great to listen to us. But, you know, I think it be, might be nice to also kind of talk about other things that we're currently watching or engaging with and you know, stuff that inspires us, stuff that we're, we've been drawn to, stuff that we're consuming. Um, I guess for myself personally, I have just finished uh, the first four seasons and the two movies of My Hero Academia, which is a superhero anime. And I mean, I watch it dubbed. I know subbed is usually better for everything, but I think the dub on this is really good. Um, and, and, and to clarify... Or a show like Neon Genesis Evangelion, I'm telling people to watch it sub, right? There are some anime that you got to watch in the original language, but being this it's a superhero anime, I think dub really works well with the characters. Um, so I just finished that, and I just had this like gaping void of like, okay, you know, I have The Mandalorian every week. That's awesome. You know, I can read some Star Wars stuff. That's great. I'm reading Dune here and there, which again is a very awesome book. Hopefully the movie comes out next October, but it is also a very powerful and detailed read to get through, very dense in a lot of ways. So I was looking for something to kind of spruce it up, and I just decided on a whim yesterday to start two new shows. I haven't seen a live-action show besides Mandalorian in a while, so I picked up uh, this TV show called Halt and Catch Fire. Um, it's about like the 80s and late early 80s, early 90s, about, uh, you know, the computer revolution, how people started their own companies, search engines, stuff like that. It's got Mackenzie Davis, okay. Chase, the guy who plays Ronan, Lee Chase, um, the guy who plays the amputee in Batman versus Superman is another, Scott McNary, he's also another, uh, plays a leading role in it. And I've only seen two episodes, but it's, it's already fascinating. It's like a Mad Men sort of show. A lot of uh, workplace drama, but like done really well. Um, I like how disturbing a lot of the characters are. They're very flawed, more than I expected. Um, and then to kind of counter that, I wanted to still see something animated, so I decided to pick up Samurai Jack because I had seen it growing up. Yeah. I know the last season came in 2017. I've been telling myself, you should watch it, you should watch it. Now I'm finally getting around to it, and... I think the one thing that really stands out to me that I don't think I ever paid attention to as a kid is the sound design. Like, obviously, the animation is amazing, but the sound design is incredible. And I've only seen one episode so far, but it was 
wow, it was a, such a fun origin episode. And then to have like Samurai Jack be flung into the future before he can finally defeat Aku, the great evil. I was just like, wow, that, that, that I'd argue this is one of the best first episodes of any show I've ever seen. Nice. Yeah. So what, 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 what are you guys watching? Um, I have been alongside this. I've been watching, uh, you know, some some random anime as well. Um, but a show that I just recently watched uh, was The Queen's Gambit on mm. Netflix. Um, really enjoyed it. It was a uh, really like I haven't I I realized I haven't watched like. A coming of age underdog story in like a long time, <laughs> but um, it was really enjoyable. Um, I guess like um, I have I I haven't been really consuming too much too many stuff um, just this content in general of because of work and everything. But um, there are a lot of things that I am looking forward to. Um, for one, um, I know we're gonna say we're gonna stop talking about Star Wars, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, Tales from the Galaxy's Edge um, is now out on uh, the Quest and the Oculus Store, and I am not uh, present with my Quest right now. But when I do, ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna nosedive into that um, just because you know I've just heard so many good things about it, and I love VR. Um, and um, you know, to be in to to be immersive in like that grounded VR Star Wars world, I feel like um, would be a really cool experience. The Vader Immortal was one thing that I consumed, um, and I guess I didn't get too much into the lore, but um, just out of a haptic feedback experience, it was it was uh, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, and I guess the comments real quick, um, um, I was. Uh, Following, I'm gonna follow uh, Liam's lead on doing the seasonal or the annual Star Wars binge. Um, my girlfriend's never seen Star Wars before, so we're gonna start from the ground up and just watch everything. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> um, it'll be a good recap good. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you—it's it, an essential thing in any relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if the other person says, you know, Star Wars isn't that great, or, or Star Trek is better, you know. You, you gotta have a lot of questions, you know. You gotta end it. Yeah, you gotta end it. Yeah, I know that's, that's that's great. I mean, do you have do you have an idea for like what order you're gonna do like release order, or are you gonna do like oh, one through six? Yeah, I I think I'm gonna do release. I think I I want to show her on release order. Do you guys have any uh any recommendations? I think that's the best order for first time viewers for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, experience as the world did. Exactly right, and I think a lot of the really cool reveals happen in the original trilogy, so to then just kind of be spoiled by an episode like one with Jabba the Hutt, or uh, I guess seeing some stuff about Boba Fett as a kid, right? Like you want to see, you want to see some of these characters in their prime, right? When they have these big events. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I'd agree with release order. Um, and the the other question I always ask somebody if they've never seen Star Wars is uh, who's Darth Vader, and I've still <laughs> yet to find somebody who hasn't said, "Oh, that's Luke's dad." Um, so if <laughs> if they say that, 
Absolutely. We'll start with the original trilogy. Yeah. But I've still never yeah. met a person who hasn't seen Star Wars, still doesn't know that Darth Vader's Luke's father. That's always disappointing. And the thing is, I, I really want to meet someone and like ask them that question and be surprised and sh- have to feign surprise when they say like, oh, I don't know who uh, Darth Vader is. Like, because, you know, right away, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> I got a few movies you need to watch. <laughs> no, absolutely. I wanted to see, I want to see somebody's reaction to that. Because when I was young enough to start younger and watch Star Wars, you know. Yeah, we're, we're not that old. Yet. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It was. But I want to see somebody else's. I still haven't found that person. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's hard. Star Wars is so big that, like, for someone to, yeah. like, not have watched it, they have to be, like, very insular. You know, like, they either reject Star Wars completely and finally come around to it, or, like, they're just in such a different world that, like, it's just not something on their mind. Oh, man, guys, it, it, you'd be so surprised, though. I, I feel like I know so many people like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'd yeah, be surprised for sure, yeah. I, I was... Uh, going to, uh, to college and in high school, honestly, like I was shocked how many people I would start talking casually about Star Wars too, and they'd say, "Oh, I've never seen it," and I'm like, "But you still know all yeah, the plot right. twists." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it's such it's such a part of our culture that like it's impossible to be like, "Oh, like they don't know what's going on," but then when mm. you're like, "Oh, do you remember like?" Uh, that lightsaber fight between like Darth Maul and Qui Gon and Obi Wan, and they're like, "What?" You're like, "It's yeah, like, yeah." What? Who's <laughs> Darth Maul? <laughs> like, ah, they're just like they know enough of like an outline, but not the nitty gritty, not the good stuff, the meat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that goes well for you, Jared. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll keep you guys updated for sure. Yeah, don't 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 share the podcast with her. That might turn her off from watching Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that we're, might be uh, a bit overwhelming. Yeah, a little too much. Yeah, she she she's been wanting to listen, um, but I was like, all right, we'll watch the movies first, and then we can like, <laughs> then we can dabble into it. Yeah, like it, it, we're we're good at conversating, but we're not necessarily the best at uh, introducing. Right, yeah. Right, right. yeah, we're we're not we're not holding anyone's hands in this podcast. We're uh, <laughs> really diving in, deep into everything that we can. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about you, Liam? Are you watching anything besides Star Wars right now? Um, not really. I'm more. I'm a very seasonal uh, watcher or a media consumer, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. there's certain times a year when I am just programmed to do something. And in the winter, usually beginning of november because i always watch horror in october so it's like right when that ends i jump into star wars and then star wars ends up consuming my winter with especially november and december usually up until christmas um i'm reading star wars watching star wars playing star wars so i well actually there's one other thing i've been doing and it doesn't relate to movies it does relate to video games and I was one of the people lucky enough to get a PlayStation 5. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and I have been playing that um, quite a bit. Uh, Spider-Man, that was, that was a lot of fun. 
I finished that. That was that was a very short game, but definitely very cool to get back into that world. And they make Miles so different um, than Peter that you it really feels like its own game, despite it being yeah. in the same map. I, th- I, th- I think one of the things that I saw that really made me pleased was that he's got such a chaotic way of swinging around the city. Mm-hmm. Like, Peter's, yeah. like, refined. You know, he's got, like, eight years under his belt or something. And then there's just this kid just, like, sliding on the ground, like, pulling up his, like, pants and, like, running with his shoes, like... Just like Spider Verse Miles Morales, which is which yeah. is really nice to see. He's kind of like flailing around every time yeah. he let go of the web. Um, but yeah, that was the main thing I played. I also played the the free demo that it came with, the Astros mm-hmm. Playroom, which was surprisingly awesome. Um, it's a really fun That's platformer cool. that goes with pretty much the entire history of PlayStation. Wow, so nice. that was really cool. But on top of that watching stuff is i haven't really watched much outside of star wars all right well jerry do you want to end off this episode yeah well i mean yeah that was a great conversation guys thanks for that um and yeah i mean join us next week uh for episode 13 hopefully hopefully we get to see ahsoka you know we're crossing our fingers um you know uh Really, really, really. I feel like they're leading up to a lot of things in Mando right now. That, um, that you know, I hope will pay off. And because it seems like they're they've been doing this like on-off episodic uh, narrative driving uh, pattern. So you know, hopefully we'll see that in episode thirteen. So uh, join us next week, and we'll be talking about that. And um, yeah, from the Star Wars lads to y'all. Um, we'll see you guys next time. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> all right. Well, all like right. that. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a good way to end it. See you guys. All right. All right, guys. That was guys. fun. See you yeah. next week. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>